Hi, I'm Jim from Winfield, Illinois, and The Sound of Young America is an independent production supported by listeners like you and me. If you'd like to donate and support the show, visit MaximumFun.org and click on Donate. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, I'm Jesse Thorne, and this is The Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org. Radio sweetheart, on the airways, it's the sound of It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest this week is the singer, songwriter, producer, and multi-instrumentalist Raphael Sadiq. Here's a song from his brand new album called The Way I See It. The track is Love That Girl. You can tell by a smile She's such a love child And every man in this place Would love to be in her space Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is Raphael Sadiq. Uh, he's spent about 20 years in the music industry, first as a member of the groundbreaking act Tony, 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 then later as a solo artist and uh, as a producer bordering on super producer. Um, his brand new album, The Way I See It, captures the sound of the soul music of, of the 1960s uh, almost effortlessly although I presume a lot of effort went into it. Uh, Raphael, welcome to The Sound of Young America. It's good to be here, man. It's a, pl- it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Um, your original instrument was the bass. Yeah, that's correct. And I still tend to think of you as a, as a bass player, first and foremost. Do you still think of yourself as a bass player? Oh, most definitely. Yes, I'm a bass, I'm a bass player, and I call myself a struggling guitar player, but... You know. <laughs> So what led you? The bass is is a rare instrument for someone to start on. The bass tends to be uh, the instrument that uh, the guy who's joining his friend's band uh, gets stuck with because his friend's already playing the guitar. Yeah, well, that was bass. That was really the case. My brother played guitar. Mostly everybody in my neighborhood played guitar. So I said, you know, if I want to hang out with these guys, I should ha- I should probably play the bass. But it was more than that. It, it was just the instrument that I first heard. And fell in love with, you know, I, I heard it on a, a Motown record when I was a kid. Of course, I didn't know what Motown was at the time, but as I recall, I heard uh, Pride of Joy by Marvin Gaye, by Marvin and um, James Jamerson and the, rag, the Ragtime Piano. And um, I think the first time I put my hands on the bass, I kind of identified the sound some kind of weird way I did. Maybe I was like seven, so I, I just, it's not like I picked up the bass and said, wow, that's the song I heard on Pride and Joy. But it just, it felt right. And the guitar had the guitar had a lot of strings. It looked like it was going to really be complicated at that time. And 
like I said, my brother played guitar, so I figured, you know, we could we could sit around the house and I could play the other instrument. When when you were growing up, you you grew up in Oakland, and mm-hmm. and you're like forty ish, so you grew up in this time that was, uh, uh, sort of on the the very beginning of the hip hop era. Um, was it easy to find people to play with at the time? Were there people that wanted to be in bands? Oh yes, my my neighborhood was flooded with musicians. Bass players, drummers, guitar players, horn players, everything. Um, it's still like that, you know, in Oakland. It was, you know, it was infested with bands and clubs. You know, we used to, uh, you know, put our amps in shopping carts and push them to the studio <laughs> up the hill, you know. So, you know, before we had could drive, you know, the cars from our school, the studio was pretty, pretty, pretty close. So, from what I can remember, I guess maybe in '88 it was there's a lot of leftover musicians. But before that, growing up, you know, 14, it's crowded. You know, class, you know, Spanish class. We we had our bases out in the Spanish class having bass contests. <laughs> How did your Spanish teacher feel about that? He had a fat tie on. He wasn't cute, and so it was the wrong class. He shouldn't have been teaching Spanish. We we should have had a beautiful Spanish girl. Teaching us that we would have got more into it. <laughs> how how old were you when you started to play bass? I think I picked the bass up at I actually picked up the guitar around five. You know, acoustic guitar I bought from San Jose Flea Market. And my mom was I would have guessed Coliseum Flea Market. No, San Jose. Okay. It's, it's, Coliseum didn't have the slide, you know, oh, the, banana, gotcha. the banana split slide. <laughs> San Jose had the three-tier slide with the carpet coming down, so they take you to that one. And um, bought a little acoustic for like maybe like fifteen bucks, and that's when I figured it was gonna be pretty pretty hard. And my my dad was like, you know, I'm gonna buy him a bass. And my brother told my dad to buy me a bass. And at that point, I just started. Um, he he would play a song, he would teach me, and I just sort of uh, caught on pretty fast and. From that point on, it was just like my, my eyes, couldn't take my eyes off of it. And got an amplifier, a little Univox. I had like a, I had a copy jazz. It was a, called a, it was called an Orlando. It was a copy of a Fender. And um, I thought I had, you know, $20 billion. <laughs> That's the thought in my mind, maybe $100 billion. I just thought I had it all in my room. It was my secret. I would go to school. But when I came home, I was stuck in that room, you know with that instrument and you know every once in a while maybe once a year i would sneak a friend over and go like listen to me play listen listen you know (laughs) how much older than you is your brother i don't really know maybe like seven years okay so he's he's significantly older than you so he by the time you were playing he was already kind of a teenager oh yeah oh yeah definitely he was in a band of very powerful strong pv amp band you know <laughs> bunch of amps horn section so i would just sit like i'm sitting down here and and watch this band just pound out these songs like you know you know two part harmony guitar solos and just like you know looking at all the foot pedals on the ground and the drummers double kick drums and you know so i was just you know amazed with that and I go over to my uncle's house. My uncle had like a living room full of like, you know, drums set up, amps, guitars, stage set up in his living room. So I would bounce from my uncle's house to my brother's house, which is my half brother. Dwayne was my half brother. So is my half brother. Yeah. So I would just, everywhere I went, there was, you know, there was music, you know, just everywhere. When were you finally old enough to uh, play with your brother, like 
for real, like outside of your the living house. room. I almost got a chance to play with him. Well, I did get a chance to. The first time I got a chance to play with him was um, he was in his band called Alpha Alpha Omega. And the bass player decided to take a long walk around the corner to come to my stepmom's house to to go to the gig. And my stepmom was like the sort of the manager mom. And she got mad because he took the long route. And she's like, you know what? He's going to play tonight. And my bro- it was like it was like nothing my brother could say. It was their band, you know. She said he's playing tonight, and I'm like, wow. And How I'm, old were you? I was probably ten or eleven. <laughs> and I, I played the gig. So that means your your brother was like seventeen. Yeah, he couldn't say anything. I mean, he didn't say nothing. She's like, he's playing tonight. I was like, whoa. But I was, it was like a little boat cruise, you know, a little boat you get on and it goes like for a couple miles and turn around. One of those little boats. But I think that's the first time I played with him. What, what was it like? Do you remember? First, I thought he was going to be a little mad that she left the bass player, you know? So I just kind of, you know, was quiet and just looked to the right and looked at him, and he didn't look mad. Uh, how old were you when uh, you and your brother and cousin started Tony, Tony, Tony? Well, probably 17. I, w- I was 17. Um, and, but we, we stopped to, for a minute to go play with, you know, Sheila, Sheila E., and we end up going to uh, Japan and being um, a part of the parade tour with Prince. So we toured with Sheila for a year and a half, and then we came back in '88 and put the Tonys together. And um, the, I'm I'm gonna pause ahead, you yeah. because I am keen to know what it was like for like a 17, 18 year old guy to go on the parade tour, which was a huge tour. I mean, this was. Uh, you know, I mean, you could make an argument one way or the other about whether it was the artistic peak of Prince's career, but certainly that tour was one of the biggest tours that he ever did. A huge that operation. Huge. That was huge. It was in stadiums outside in, you know, Tokyo and Yokohama Stadium. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was very huge. And I think the, I remember, like, rehearsing for, like, a month and a half in San Francisco at SIR. And, um, you know, and just being fitted for clothes it was like a ordeal you know what i mean it's like you know one day you know just you just graduate and we, you know we i used to always park my car in oakland coliseum and say you know one day one day i'll play in oakland coliseum you know that was my little dream to play in oakland coliseum to watch all these cars and these brake lights pull up and um we rehearsed for a month and just to watch all these people like you know with measuring tape putting you know measuring you for clothes you're like what's going on and then all of a sudden you're in um you're bouncing around the clubs before we left, you know, watching other bands and you roll in with Sheila and, you know, cameras on and all of a sudden you're in Tokyo, you sing in Erotic City, you know, <laughs> you're a sound check, you know, Prince walks up to you and like, um, <clears throat> what's your name? I'm like, uh, Raphael. What's your name? Uh, Tim. What's your name? Carl. Hi, I'm Prince. <laughs> <laughs> And we were like, we were sitting under our breath, like, no kidding, like, you know, like we know who you are. Yeah, I just remember just, you know, sound checking and you know singing and Prince little, you know, like you know he liked the voice, he liked my voice because I was singing his parts, you know, to Erotic City, and it's always really cool, you know, went out, hung out at a lot of clubs, a lot of models, because you know Prince is. It's kind of well, hanging around you. So. Prince has a reputation. Prince has a reputation. You know, you go out at night. Prince is like, is there enough girls here for you? <laughs> you know, I'm 18 with a, like a sap with a knapsack around me. You know, my jeans. 
You know, had a Detroit baseball cap on, you know, looking, you know, we had to wear all, you know, all the makeup, everything too, you know, so it was like a drag queen almost. But, but at night, you're ordering a chocolate milk. Yeah, exactly. But at night, I would take everything off and then put, you know, go come back to the club with a Detroit cap on and some jeans and, and Nikes and just be mean. I think he sort of knew I was my own person at that point but did you did you have an idea of um at this point when you were 18 and you had sort of you'd started and left the tony 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 thing did you have a scheme for what tony 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 was going to be did you have an idea Mm. of of what this band was well i guess we sort of had an idea we know what we what we what we really enjoyed you know being from from the bay we had this huge belief that we were part of slide and family stone you know, and um, we felt like that's what we had to represent in our own little way. You know, um, we knew what came before us and we just sort of went out and with that kind of thought. That was my thought process. And I believe that was, you know, Dwayne's and, and Tim's. Um, we just sort of went out together and just uh, we didn't know what to expect. You know, we didn't know anything about any business, any selling records or first week sales it was all about the record is done, put us in front of people, and um, we'll we'll act we'll act like um, we want to play in the Coliseum one day. The Sound of Young America, I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is soul singer, producer, and former member of Tony, 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 Raphael Sadiq. His new album is called The Way I See It. What were the parts of, for example, Sly and the Family Stone, or some other, you know, like Tower of Power? What were the yeah. specific, what were the things that you line. wanted? Yeah, we, we wanted to be a part of the B3 world. You know, we wanted to be, you know, we, it was other little, you know, it was, it, there were other groups out. There were urban groups and R&B groups, but we never felt like we were like them. You know, even the New Jack Swing stuff, we were never really... We, we loved, you know, those people. We loved Teddy Riley and um, Q Sweat. All the, the, the R&B groups were, were out, but we knew we, were, we weren't like that. We were, like, definitely Hammond B3 heavy, really Fender Stratocaster, Telecaster heavy. Um wanted to be horn heavy if we could afford to, to have the horns on the road at all times. Really wanted to be in a lot of strings. And, you know, we were in a, you know, we, you know, we, we did a song called Oakland Stroke. You know, we was loving. We grew up listening to What Is Hip every day. You know, that was our our backbone. We huge Neil Schoen, Steve Perry, Journey fans, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're like, you know, we were like fans of them. Like, you know, we got older people like laughed at Journey, but we was like... 
whatever. You know, like I'll put Neil Sean in front of any guitar player any day, and he's a he's a real good blues guitar player. But we knew that, and we were all about Carlos Santana, you know, Pete Escovito, Coke Escovito, and the Bay. We knew we we was representing the Bay wherever we went. You know, we said it proudly. You know, we're from the Bay, and Sly had you know the organ. We we both all played in church growing up, and um, we brought that type of uh uh religious soulful movement to uh our fans and that's what that's what we believe you know we believe that we go out there and we, and, and we can feel it um somebody will catch on to it and that's how you know our other home away from home was earth wind and fire you know early earth wind and fire we was definitely you know huge fans of uh the power of earth wind and fire uh, you know i guess we were always into power bands when i was in grade school i used to read you know go to the to the library and he's go pick a book. I would, you know, I would go get the Kiss book. <laughs> you know, I, I would, I would be in grade school. I would get the, a, a book with about Kiss, and I would just look at the pictures, look at the lights, look at the stage, and you know, all the the fireworks going off. That was my thing. I always like power bands. Let me ask you this: this this period when Tony 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 got started and, and New Jack Swing was happening was the first time that the worlds of hip-hop and R&B started to really mix. Um, I mean, there had been, in the very beginning of hip-hop, there had been R&B bands, you know, playing the beats. But for the most part, the the thing that really changed in that time, you know, 1988, 1989, 1990, was that hip-hop influence started to happen in, started to go towards R&B as opposed to all the, everything going the other direction. Um, sort of aesthetically, what were the parts of hip hop that were appealing to you? The things that were uh... the, the dirtiness, the dirt. I mean, I, I like I love hip hop because it was it wasn't clean, and you know, the the stacks records that I like, like you know, hold on, it was the dirty. It was, you know, the drums was dirty, and it was just, you know, that Memphis, you know, soul when you let people go in the studio and just be who they are and. Um, those records, you know, from uh, NWA records were like that, you know, straight out of Compton. It was just dirty. P.E., Public Enemy was, you know, dirty records. Like, the sound was gritty and it was dirty. And to me, at that point, R&B was too slick, you know, and I just never really wanted to be, you know, to make a lot of slick rec- records, even though we did have some some R&B records, some R&B records that were really polished. But we were always trying to be have something gritty but we just didn't know sonically i remember listening a lot to the uh kiss single of lay your head on my pillow that was right. a pretty smooth record yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly lay your head on my What led to the dissolution of Tony, Tony, Tony? Well, we just can't, honestly, we, we just been together for so long. And, you know, when you in this business, you you grow into, you grow up. And you, you, can, you come off tour after two or three tours. Everybody has these new friends. Then everybody has a new girlfriend. And the girl's telling them, you know, you should be doing this. And you should be doing that. And it ends up being, you know, 
you come home one day and everybody start their own thing and you never it's not like we actually broke up or anything like that we just didn't go back out on the road we even went out and did like when we did let's get down we ended up still going out and doing david letterman jay leno you know like primetime television shows but you know when they were done we were done we just went home and that was it you know um we just started growing apart you know everybody wants to do their own thing and i didn't really want to be like this lead singer you know guy who wanted to be some lead singer but then i just sort of got forced into it after after putting together lucy pearl and then i said you know well it's time for me to do a solo record and then i found it i found it to be um great therapy for me because it made me you know walk in the room and get to know who who i was When we come back in just a minute on The Sound of Young America, we'll talk with Raphael Sadiq about his career after Tony, Tony, Tony. It's The Sound of Young America from PRI Public Radio International. Production of The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. The Sound of Young America is seeking an intern for the spring semester. If you live or go to school in the Los Angeles area and are interested in working with MaximumFun.org and The Sound of Young America, you can find more information about our internship program online at MaximumFun.org. Just click on About and look for Interns. Casey, the intern, is it a good idea to apply to be an intern at The Sound of Young America? Yes! That's the kind of testimonial that you'll only hear here. Uh, Anyway, seriously, apply. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Raphael Sadiq. He's been a member of the groups Tony, 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 and Lucy Pearl. These days, he's a producer and solo artist. His new album is The Way I See It. What did you get out of working solo that you might not have gotten out of working with Tony, 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 or Lucy Pearl? I guess what 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 I've got out of it working on my own is just expression freedom of expression um 135 percent you know um i'd have to be honest and say that working with the tonys it was you know pretty much free free roll you know um um lucy pearl pretty much the same too you know you know freedom of 100 percent. but it's just something about when you know that you're not answering to anyone who just, you know, just like you, you know, it's like taking a shower. If you had to take a shower with three people, then all of a sudden you walk in your shower and just you. It's a freedom shower. There's <laughs> <laughs> a very interesting metaphor. More things can happen when you're in the shower by yourself. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though. Your your solo records, at least lyrically, don't don't strike me as being super personal. Um, it's not about being confessional or um, talking or, or being personal in that way. What things do you express as a solo artist, um, whether it's musically or whatever, that are really you know representative of you? Like, what is it that hmm. you're expressing? I think my, more, most of my expression comes through instrumentation. I'm more of a vessel. You know, the things come through, things that I see, things that I hear, um, relationships I, I hear about or relationships I've heard about in different songs. 
and the, the vibration of, of the music tells me what to say. Is it that same way when you're producing other artists? I mean, you've worked with uh, D'Angelo extensively, with uh, Mary J. Blige, with many others. It depends who the artists, who they are. Some some artists, you know, you have to have a song before they come, you know, and, then, and that happens with, with, with Mary, you know. I found my everything is the song that I wrote before she came in. So me not really knowing Mary, but kind of hearing about Mary and knowing her life, it was sort of the vibration of what I really wanted to write and I found my everything. You know, I knew she was just got married, you know, and so I just kind of, this is the way I thought she might feel. And musically, I felt that those two things really uh, work well together. With D'Angelo, you know, he's the type of person who wants to write most of his lyrics, you know what I mean? So, you know, you, you kind of write music with him and say, you know, this is the vibe of the song. This is what we want to do. And it ends up being a team, you know, a team effort. And then, you know, like thing I tell people about producing is uh, what people have to get used to is people turning down your music. You know, people not liking something you do, which makes, for me, which makes it come out better because you have to keep trying. Can you point to a record that you produced that you were particularly proud of your contribution to, whether it was... Um, whether it was in terms of crafting the instrumentation or, or, or the song or even just translating someone else's vision particularly effectively. I don't know, it's just a lot of them. You know, some of them wasn't, wasn't, weren't really big hits, like a song called... Um, a song I did with Khalees, I don't even really know the title of it. I didn't think she would like the song, and she really, really liked the song, and everybody else um, really liked the song, too. I, and when I listened to it, you kind of forget you do it, that you did it, and it comes on and somebody walks up to you and say, I love that song that you did with Khalees. And I go like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm, I'm more proud about that because she came from a Neptune's world where in the record is not like, it sound like me, but um, I did some things and some some weird things that I didn't think she would like and and, and think other people would like, which would let, which led, leads me to doing all the things that I do now, like, you know, what things that you can pull out of your hat, you should never just hide your goodies and, like, don't try to, you know, let people hear it, you know. Never hide your goodies. That's a good, it's an interesting motto. about your new album because your solo work to this point had been sort of infused with this kind of early 70s richness your new album has a very different sound i mean you could even you could talk um, the first thing that struck me when i when i started listening to the uh to the record was actually the bass lines which specifically reminded me of james jamerson who had this really particular style that's very melodic and uh not particularly percussive which is sort of the the thing that came around in the in the 70s it's sort of loping almost you might say yes what brought you into this sound like how'd you get into that space where you wanted to make uh where you wanted to make a record that sounded like that 
You know, when I when I think about, it, I've been answering like this question a, like a lot, a, a lot. And then I told my I told one of my friends, I said, you know what, it's weird because I was talking to my engineer. You know, I talked about it. You know, I went out and you know, uh, just my everyday schedule is kind of the same. So I eat, I sort of eat at the same places a few times. It's the same places during the week. So right across the street from this place called Healthica in North Hollywood is a place called Drum City. Which is sells a lot of new drum sets. But I walked in, it was one old drum set. I sat on the drum set. I'm not a drummer. I sat on the drum set and blah, 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 blah. And it sounded just like I wanted the sound. It was, wasn't tuned. So I took it to the studio and said, you know what? Don't touch it. Leave it just like this. Don't tune it. This is, this is how it should sound. We mic'd it up. And from there I went. You know, I just kind of went from there. And the guitars I already had, the 62P bass I've always had, you know, a couple of those. And... I just kind of went into that mode. I had already started on the record and started doing a couple of different things. Then I started playing that music and the songs started coming one by one. So I said, you know what? I guess this it was more of a spiritual thing. I can't really place my hand on how it happened. I think the sound found me and, you know, before I knew it, I had a whole album. It feels like there's this kind of happy song that was such a staple of mid-60s R&B, this kind of joyful, fun dance song, kind of an upbeat, mid-tempo upbeat song. That there are a lot of on this record that you don't you don't hear that it's it's hard to find that kind of song on the radio anymore. Were there like stylistic things that uh, kinds of songs that you got to write as you got into this mode as you started to feel it? Yeah, I mean you know it's, honestly it's just yeah I started out like that but it's more the swagger of the the clothes and, and I'm a dreamer. You know, I dream a lot, so I'm, I'm, you know, I close my eyes and I can see the Supremes walking in Hitsville, and you know, uh, you know, watching, you know, everybody get their first new Cadillacs, and when they was happy about their first deal, and they were mad about it like four years after that. But you know, it's just like all the movies that I see in my head, all the Quentin Tarantino movies, all you know, Bronx Tale, Five Heartbeats, and all this music I kept hearing was one of my one of my main objectives was to license my music in films. And that's how I kind of came up with it too cuz all the movies that I like always had these Motown songs and you hear my girl in the 30 you know movies. So I said you know I want to make a record that could be licensed in films and and I didn't really I wasn't really thinking about radio at all. It was never my my objective to make a record for radio. I mean but if radio you know, picked up something that they like. Of course, I would be very you know excited and happy about that. But my main objective was to make records. I could see people a night out on the town. You know, like um, people going to a movie, to a drive-in. I had all, I had all these things in my mind, just just dreaming. You know, we just. I came to the studio. I was I dressed the way I dressed every day. And when you say the the way you're dressed, I'll I'll let people know that you're sitting here in my studio, which is in my apartment. People barely can usually be bothered to like put on a t-shirt to come in and be on the Sandy Young America. <laughs> you 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 got on a necktie, you got on a suit, you got on a nice uh you got on a nice uh boot with a little broguing on the toe. Uh you know, you got you're you're fitted is what I'm trying to <laughs> say. You're ready to go every day? Uh, almost every day. You know, almost every day. Um so especially doing like doing the sessions, you know, just uh I wanted to feel like, you know, when you when when this record was being made, I wanted to, you know, put my hand in my right pocket and put my left hand on the board and listen, look at the speakers and watch the music come out and just live it. Because I felt the more that I lived it, 
I felt like I always felt like that's that's cooking the music to me. That's getting the music ready for the listener. When you sit and listen to it all night and you marinate with this music and you move to it, you snap to it. I feel like that's cooking this part of the music. Once it's done, it has to be listened to and you know and moved to and and you know close your eyes and you and you see you know billboards, you know small clubs. You see people coming out to enjoy themselves. I'm basically saying this is the way that I've been seeing music, been hearing it all my life, and I don't really want to fake people out anymore. This is this is really me, you know. Sadiq's brand new album is called The Way I See It. You can find him online at Raphael Sadiq, spelled S-A-A-D-I-Q, dot com. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I've been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show produced by Speaking Into Microphones, our theme music written and performed by Dan Grayson with help from myself. Interstitial music provided by Dan Wally. Behind me sits Casey O'Brien, our intern. The show edited by Nick White in Chicago. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org where you can make a donation to support the program if you'd like to. I know we're getting to that time of year where folks start to think about year-end giving. You can email me directly directly at jesse at MaximumFun.org, J-E-S-S-E, if you have any thoughts about the show. And besides that, we'll see you later this week on The Sound of Young America.